Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth, where we're exploring all sorts of business topics. Experts from around the world join me, your host, Diane Helbig, for a conversation where they share their expertise with all of you. Take what you need, when you need it. Featured on Inc.com, Forbes, and MSNBC's Your Business, this podcast is recognized as one of the best podcasts for small business, sales, leadership, social media, and more. When it comes to business, Accelerate Your Business Growth has got it covered. And now on with the show. My guest today is Ron Carr. Ron has worked with leaders of organizations on six continents to eliminate risk, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster with the Velocity Mindset. For the past 30 years, his presentations and advisory services have generated over a billion dollars in incremental revenues for his clients. Ron is the author of the best-selling Lead, Sell, or Get Out of the Way. His latest book, Velocity Mindset, shows leaders how to turn their vision into reality. Thanks so much for joining me today, Ron. Oh, my pleasure, Diane. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. And you? I'm doing great. Excellent. Hot, but good. Hot? Did you say hot, but good? Yes. I know it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It's hot here too. And then it just rains all the time. <laughs> um, so I want, I want to dive right into this and I would love it if you would explain to the listeners what you mean by, you know, what it means to have a velocity mindset, if you would. Sure. So, you know, uh, when I gave up the presidency of the national speakers association in June of 2014, I had nine surgeries, mostly on my back. Uh, nine levels fused. While I was going through a couple of years of, of nonstop rehabilitation, you start thinking about your life. You start thinking about all the good things you've done, and then you think about the things you haven't. So uh, like everybody else, you know, the things I wanted to do, but I did not because of my fears, my uh, stories that I told myself. And at that time, I was 57. So, you know, the runway is getting short. So the concept of velocity has been in my mind for many years because I've been working with that by my clients, how can they get to the next step or the next point in the safest and fastest manner? But now in a life situation, it's even meaning more to me, you know, because there's still a lot more I want to do. So I started looking into the concept of velocity. <clears throat> and Diane, when you hear the word velocity, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Speed. Right. And that's what a lot of people think. But if that's all you think velocity is, then you probably won't get to where you want to be and you'll get burnout. The way I can explain that is, if you're task-oriented and all you're doing is all your tasks, and at the end of the day, you're burnt out from, from doing that and never having a chance to take a break, but then you wonder, what did you really accomplish? That's what we're talking about. The true definition of velocity, the physics definition, is speed with direction. Um. Look at direction as being your endpoint, whether it's we want to be at the end of your life. We want to be at the end of the year. We want to be at the end of a sales call or whatever. And that endpoint, that outcome has to be something that's so important to you that it drives you with passion. So when you get knocked off the track by unforeseen forces, it'll act like a magnet to bring you back on. But more importantly, what that outcome does that you're so uh, attached to 
is well make sure then that you're doing the right actions, the right tasks, tasks that support that outcome and not just any and all tasks that just don't get you there. So that's what velocity is all about. Now, in order to gain that velocity, you have to have the right mindset that we talk about in the book. You have to have alignment. You have to understand how to engage others because you can't do it all by yourself. You need the, the help of others. So we looked at the neuroscience and on issues like how do you engage the brain so people want to talk to you and how do you create a safe environment so that they'll, they'll want to have the conversation and hopefully do what you ask them to do. And then what's the destiny? You know, how are you going to get to where you want to be? How are you going to figure it out? So those are the things that we cover in the book. Um, the, the response has been overwhelming in terms of what people are getting out of it and the various aspects of life that they feel that it can help them accomplish. Got it. That's really interesting. And, and I appreciate that. So, so what do you think holds leaders back, you know, from, from being able to take their vision and turn it into reality? Is it that they're um, just doing, you know, doing tasks, just doing activities that don't point toward where they want to go? Well, I'll break it down into the various steps. Number one, they have to be outcome driven, not task driven. So what's the outcome that they're after? Yeah. And uh, now outcome or vision, if we want to use that word, um, a lot of people have trouble with that. And where they go wrong um, is they'll say, okay, where do I want to be? And then they look at their past results and rely on that to create the vision. And all you're doing then is just recreating the past. And we've heard that from people, right? Mm-hmm. And I just keep getting the same old results. And why is it that different? Well, that's because you created the vision from the past, and that's why you got there. To create a true vision, you got to put the past aside. You got to start with what I call a clean piece of paper and start thinking about what is it that you really want to accomplish, whatever it is you're looking you know, to address, the project, life, whatever. And, and allow yourself to dream. Now, a lot of people get scared because if they put something down, then they go to the next step and they say, well, I don't know how to get there, and I don't have the answers, so then they leave it. Well, what we know about leaders is their job is not to have all the answers, right? Their job is to figure out, yeah, their job is to figure out where they're going and then find out the questions they need answered and then they'll go get the answers and they're comfortable, they'll find that. But a lot of people are uncomfortable not having the answers. So if you do your vision, you have all the answers up front, you're probably not thinking big enough or you're probably recreating the past. Now, not only are people uncomfortable with that, but there's what's called clarity of vision. You can't expect to have clarity of vision when you're mapping that end result, especially if you haven't been there. The idea is to let it ruminate in your conscious mind. And as you start thinking about it, it leads to other thoughts, leads to other questions, which begets other answers, which leads to the next set of information until eventually you can see it clearly. You can believe you're gonna get there. You incorporate the resources that are gonna help you get there. And then you start creating it. That's the process. Yeah, boy, I really like that a lot. Cause I think people do, right? We spend so much energy around thinking that we have to have it all figured out. Right. Right? When really it, it is a process, it, it, it's a living thing, it evolves. Yeah, exactly. And like Dr. Nito Cobain, who wrote the uh, forward to the book, President of High Point University, you know, he's an, an example of that. He came 
from Lebanon as a teenager, fifteen dollars in his pocket by himself. His mother wanted to come him to come to the United States and get a good education and a good living, and he settled in High Point, knew nobody. So when I said, Nito, you have a vision, he goes, yes, but his distinction was this. He said, clarity of vision only comes from the journey. So in other words, don't be scared you don't have the answers. Start the journey, meaning start thinking about it in every conscious waking moment. And as you go down that road, ideas will come to you, questions will come to you, you'll start doing things, that's the journey. And the clarity will come as you walk through the journey. Boy, that's so much um, more empowering than feeling, you know, like you have to have all the answers. I mean, Absolutely. It's, it's impossible to have all the right? answers. Right. But your job as a leader is not to have to figure it all out. Then you go to the sources who have the information, you go get it from them. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Talk to me about the law of focus. How do you <clears throat> So um, I was giving a keynote at the Biltmore in a tent for 500 mall owners, real estate tycoons, everybody who was involved in malls. And the first thing I said to this group was, why is it that you're all late in your various projects? Everybody's late, you delay everybody else, but when that mall opening date that was advertised for a year comes, hello, high water, it opens. It's the law of focus. Because you're all focusing on that one date. And you're all thinking about how you're going to make it happen, even when other people are late. That's what the law of focus is. It's about intentionality. It's about, um, like we just talked about, the law, you can't do that vision if you don't have the law of focus about that vision. Because then you'll never think ahead to what's involved, the questions you need to ask, and so forth. So what happens is, and we talk about this in the book, everybody likes to multitask. In neuroscience, there's no such thing as multitasking. It's yeah. impossible. Yeah. So when you think about it, you got five things you're doing concurrently, but at any given second, you're not multitasking. You're working on one thing. That particular issue that you're doing at that one second. Right. But then you leave it and you go to something else. And then when you come back to it, then you got to get yourself immersed into it again. You got to figure it out. You have no focus because you're going back and forth. That's why multitasking, we think we're so good at it. It really hurts us. The law of focus is, is prioritizing what you have to do. Take one thing and just focus your energy on it so you can have the creativity, you can figure it out, you can get through it, and then you move on to the next. You can't have intentionality if you don't focus on the issue. Yeah, right. It's compartmentalizing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really, um, so I do this thing that I call silos where uh-huh. I have to put the various initiatives that I'm working on into their own separate buckets with their right. own separate list of things that have to be done in them. Because otherwise it, I have this huge to-do list that has everything on it and yeah. nothing, you know, exactly. just overwhelming. Right. So it, it gives more credibility now to the old saying that we've heard over and over. You become what you focus on. Yeah. Right. You achieve what you focus on. That's what they're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, if you, I, and if you don't focus and you go back and forth, like I said, yeah. then you waste so much time, you got to get immersed in it. That's when you create resistance on your velocity. Ah, okay. Now, so that leads me to, would you explain what the art of pause is and how 
it at, you know, what is its effect on velocity? So I'll, I'll explain it. I'll give you an example. Okay. So sometimes you have to pause or stop to gain velocity. Okay. I know that sounds like a, doesn't make sense. Sort of. But it's true because if you're not, if you're doing something that's not working and keep doing it, if you don't pause, yeah. all you're doing is creating more resistance and drag. So an example was my first sales job was selling copiers. It was 1980 and I was uh, hired by uh, uh, Royal Business Machines. They just came out with the first plain bond copier, no more liquid toner that screws up your clothes. Beautiful, crisp, 15 copies a minute. I asked, where's the collator? Don't worry, I'll be here in six months. Where's the duplicator? Six months. So they seduced me on this one unit. And I started cold calling with it. Couldn't sell it. Because the first thing they would say is, well, can you do what that big Xerox machine does? And I go, no. And they said, well, come back in when you can. Well, after two months of not making a sale and getting my butt kind of hurting from being kicked out of so many offices, I decided to have a board meeting. And that, in effect, was a pause. I took myself to a diner and I said, okay, you know, let's evaluate what's going on. Mm. What do you sign a copy of? When you have that conversation, what happens? They don't want it because they can't compete with the Xerox. So I started saying, well, is that really what you're selling? And I realized, no, I'm selling it as an outcome. I'm selling a communication vehicle. Maybe that's the conversation I need to have. So I went on my next call and I met an office manager and I asked her and I said, look, would you agree that a copy is nothing more than a uh, communication vehicle? And she goes, absolutely. And I said, well, when it comes to that, what are your three biggest challenges? And all of a sudden, she just let loose like a, it was therapy on a couch. And she goes, oh, my God, Sally or Jim, they have one copy to make on the first floor. They have to get up. They talk to everybody going to the staircase. By the time they get to the third floor, and then they have to wait behind all those big jobs. By the time they come back, it could take up to two hours. I said, how often does that happen? And she started saying, the equivalent of two full-time employees. And I go, really? And she goes, yeah. I said, well, how would you like those two full-time employees back? She goes, how are you going to do that? I said, look, I'm not competing with that big machine on the third floor. It's a great machine. Keep it. What I'm here is to fill in the gaps for you. This machine, 15 crisp copies, this is what you need on every floor to do those one and two copy jobs, and you'll get back that productivity. Diane, I started selling three at a time. Oh, my goodness. Every time I called up my manager, he realized it was me. He goes, major account desk. The point is, is that if I didn't pause uh -huh. to reevaluate, I would have kept doing the same thing I would have been doing. I would have gotten more demoralized, never made a, a, a dime, and probably would have been fired. And, I, and the other thing is, I could have blamed my company. They didn't give me the collator like they promised. They didn't give me the duplicator. And the premise of the book, Diane, for everybody, and we're all leaders, whether we lead our lives or lead others or whatever, the sure. premise of the book is what would the world look like if everybody acted like a leader and not as a victim of circumstance? Oh. Yeah. So that, that's an example where I could have been the victim of circumstance, right. but I, I kept the accountability that, look, I still got to make a living. They're not coming through so I can blame them. What's that going to do for me? So yeah, I pause, reevaluate the conversation, kept getting the L with that big Xerox machine, asked myself, how can we change it? Tried it, tested it, it worked. Sometimes it doesn't work and you keep trying different things. But that's what the pause does. That is so great. And I love the example. I used to sell copiers, so it sort of resonates with me. But uh, 
that 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 is a great example of that. I can see the value of it so clearly. So so you just said that the um, you know the the basic premise of the book is what if everyone in the world uh, lived the velocity mindset? What do you think? I'm just curious. You know what 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 do you think the world would look like? What would be first of all? Do you think it's possible? I guess would be my cynical question and what would it, what, how would things be? Well, I mean, if it was like that, there'd be more accountability, there'd be less blaming on other people, there'd be less violence, there'd be less uh, of all the things we're not enjoying seeing right now. And I'm not being political, it's not about left or right, so please don't go there if you're sure, right. Yeah. But, um, but we've gotten into a society, not just in the United States, but elsewhere where if things don't go our way, we blame others. Yeah. And instead of saying, okay, what can I do? You know, uh, we all know the old saying that it takes two to tangle, okay? Yeah. Um, when I got divorced from my ex-wife and we're good friends, so we have a great relationship with her, but when we got divorced, right? Um, and and then I started saying, okay, you know, it was 10 years ago, so um, I'm not in a long-term relationship right now, but as I was thinking about getting into one, you know, I said, okay, look, you know, this was two of you that had something to do with this. So if you don't want to repeat it in the next relationship, what are you going to do differently? So I obviously did a lot of work on myself to make sure that the next time I have the opportunity, um, I would not be doing that contribution. Right. And, I, and I think we all have to think like that. We all have to start with ourselves. And the one question that we know that really good leaders ask every time and it's the question that we make a fundamental question in the book is when something goes wrong, before you blame an employee, before you blame somebody else, ask yourself this one question. What could I do differently next time? Yeah. And I teach this to CEOs and everything because at the end of the day, yeah, you could blame an employee. Okay, but what was the CEO's role in communicating expectations? What was the CEO's role in creating a, a culture of engagement, whatever was involved? So if everybody just asked that one question, Diane, what could I do differently next time? The world basically would be a better place to live. Yeah, boy, I totally buy into that. Totally. Sometimes when I'm working with clients, I, I will have everyone answer the question, uh, how am I contributing to the dysfunction? Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we had that with salespeople. Right now, we got a big issue with salespeople today because of the global... Uh, supply chain sh shortage. Everybody's yeah. afraid that they're gonna lose a deal. So they make promises they can't deliver. And then they blame the companies, but what they don't recognize the salespeople is, you just made, you just broke the cardinal sin of sales for a customer, you broke the trust. If you make your promise, you gotta come through with it or at least acknowledge them in advance why you can't. Because when yeah. you make a promise, they then make other uh, plans on it. And you, if they get caught side, uh, sidewise because you can't yeah. come through, you lost their trust, so it doesn't help right. you. So that's right. an example where a salesperson would say, well, it's not my fault because I didn't, you know, I, I promised what they gave me. They didn't deliver. Well, yeah, but did you, make, did you manage the expectations properly? Right, right, exactly. Whether you're a seasoned designer or a total novice, with Visme, you can create engaging, dynamic, branded content that makes people ask, how did you do that? Visit tinyurl.com/seasvisme to explore.
If you're a small business owner or salesperson who struggles with getting the sales results you're looking for, grab a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon and wherever books are sold. And if you haven't seen all Audible.com has to offer, you don't know what you're missing. Sign up for a free trial at audibletrial.com slash business growth. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, well, I'm sort of conflicted with talking about any of this in terms of the pandemic, except that I feel like it's going to continue going on and I think people need answers. Um, so, so will you talk some about getting buy-in from stakeholders? Sure. You know, when we've got people working at home, things are stressful. What, what's so, your advice? So number one, just because you communicate something doesn't mean it was effective communication. Uh -huh. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the way it works is I have a message to communicate to you, Diane. So I'm going to use words and phrases based on my life experiences and biases that I think create the intent I want you to have. You, in turn, will then translate those words based on your biases and experiences, and you very likely will come up with a different intent as to what I meant. If I don't, as a leader, take into account up front before I communicate that, A, I got to create a safe environment for you to be engaged, and B, what are you about so I can have an idea how you might um, translate certain things so I can possibly have a better chance of doing it correctly, you probably will have some communications that won't be going the way you want. And effective yeah, yeah. communication only happens when the intent that they receive is the intent you meant to give. Yeah, boy, that's a good point. Right. But how do you so, make sure? So how do you do that? All right. So number one, you got to have empathy. Empathy is a strong trait that we look for in salespeople and, and executives. Because if you don't have empathy, you're not going to ask questions. That's yeah. a simple reason. Right. And, and you can't be about you. It's got to be about the people you're trying to influence or sell. So um, I'll give you an example. So I was in a CEO of a long-term long -time client, you know, on retainer. And the production manager came in and freaking out. I said, what's wrong? I can't use the words that he used, but that person is on a cell phone. I said, what did you do? I told him to get off the damn cell phone. What did he do? He said, everybody else is on a cell phone. What did you do? I walked away upset. I said, how well did that serve you? <laughs> so we role-played it where he was the guy and I was basically giving him the same conversation he gave that person. And all of a sudden he goes, my God, I wouldn't have done it either. <laughs> so what did you feel like? He goes, I felt like I was being assailed. I said, right. Any employee who's being yelled at or being told to correct something, the first thing that they're going to do is cover their butt. Yeah. So is that what you wanted? He goes, no, I want him to get on. I said, so let's talk about motivation. You know, what do we know about the employee? Well, he wants to become a master welder. All right, what do you need for that? Timeliness and quality. How's his quality? Perfect. We love, that's why we love him. How's his timeliness? Well, he's 20 minutes behind his job. I said, so you go and you start the conversation differently. You say, look, you want to be a master welder? Yeah. You know, you need two things, quality and timeliness. Your quality is perfect. We love you. On this one particular job, you're 20 minutes behind. How can we get you back on track so you stay on track to being a master welder? 
And all of a sudden, a guy didn't even talk about the cell phone ever. He started coming up with ideas. And before you know it, they had ideas mapped out and the job got back on track. Wow. It's because he acted like a leader now. Instead of just going in there and, you know, and creating an unsafe environment for the employee who's obviously going to protect themselves. And he made the cell phone the issue. You know, that was the battle, but it wasn't the war. But yet he made it the war. You follow what I'm saying? Totally. So you yeah. really got to think ahead and say, okay, what am I dealing with? How do I get the right intent? How do I do it in a way in which they don't start defending themselves? So for salespeople, for example, we know that anytime you call up a prospect, you're an interruption. Yeah. At, even you call the client, you're an interruption. Yeah. You know, they're sitting there doing their thing, then a train of thought, and all of a sudden the phone rings, and oh, God, who is that? How many times do we do that, right? Yeah. And we answer the phone, right? If the person's in that environment, are they conducive to really hearing what you have to say? No. Of course not. Yeah. But yet people go in and they start puking. That's people who are the knowledge about everything. That's people that puke about the features and everything else. And all you're doing is raising the cortisol and the person's not even listening and they got to hang up or they check out on you mentally. Yeah. So what if the salesperson understood that they're going to be an interruption? It's a fact of life. So if they're an interruption, how do they lower the cortisol so they can get engagement? So like for a financial services company we were working with, their market was the retirees conservative investors who give them funds to an advisor and they check every three months to see how it's doing. So they call call retiree homes and I was out there because they wanted to reduce the sales cycle from five to three calls. So the one advisor went in and he spent 12 minutes trying to build that social relationship, all the pictures of the wall and the grandkids, you know, the bears stuff because it was in Chicago. And I can see the eyes of the, of the couple they were very polite, but you can see them wondering, like, what are you doing here? And I looked at my watch. It took 12 and a half minutes before he even got to the issue. And then he went to the fatal mistake of saying, I want to talk to you about stocks and bonds. Well, let's let's analyze this. Hey, they probably got somebody ready, right? Yeah. So you're talking about the features. They're already checking you down after they've been bored to death. So I, I asked the person, look, after we got out of the house, Bring the chit chat down to 30 seconds. Ask if you can ask them a really important question and then say this. Say, look, you know, I know you got someone for stocks and bonds. It's not what I'm here. I just got to ask you a really important question. Would you humor me and let me ask that? And the next call they did. And the question was this. When it comes to your future, what are the three things you want your money to provide for you? Yeah. So I started noticing something, Diane. The eyes started rolling up. And they started telling them college, retirement, whatever. Now, the neuroscience was not out at that time. This was like in the early 2000s. Yeah. So I'm going, why did the... So I want to keep testing it. So we actually brought in some of their top investors to the headquarters. And they signed papers. They knew it was going to be videotaped. And everybody's eyes rolled up, sometimes to the left to the right. And I knew there was a shift. Bottom line is, when you ask that question... They really go from why you're here, don't try and sell me something I don't need. They, then they get lost into what's important to them. And that's when they calm down and they start giving you the vital information you need. And they kind of start trusting you a little bit. So we started investigating the hormones. There are three hormones, cortisol. We all have it, fight or flight. Yeah. You're not going to get rid of it. Your first job, create a safe environment so they want to have a conversation. So you get the cortisol into a four or five level where they engage with you. And then when you get that question about 
the future, where they're trying to go, what challenges they have, whatever, and the eyes go up, that's when there's the physical shift in their brain to when they calm down, they're starting to think about what's important to them. And then they usually give you those three answers. Right. Which they wouldn't give you if they didn't trust you. (laughs) Which means that oxytocin, which is the love and trust hormone, is starting to kick in. Now, it takes a long time to develop trust because it's earned. But just because you were there for them and you asked them that question about where they were trying to go, you got their trust to enough point where they started giving you the three things that were on their mind. And then the other hormone, which is the dopamine to feel good, it only rides with oxytocin. They start feeling good about the conversation because now it's about them. So that's what we explain in the book. We make it really simple. But people have to start understanding this because if you ever want to influence your kids, your parents, your significant other, anybody to help you on your journey, they're not going to do it because of what it's for you. They're going to do it because of what it means to them. I think that is such a key point. It's so great. It really, and we spend all of our time, well, most of our time thinking about things in terms of how it impacts us and, you know, how can we get someone to see that and care about that? Right. So let me, let me give you the rest of that financial services story if I can. Right. They reduce their sales cycle from five to three calls. How much velocity do you get with that? Number one. So I was in the headquarters and they said, hey, you know, we got a class in a four to seven year advisors. Can you do an hour? So I wrapped up one day, 530 with the hour. We're all staying in the same hotel. And one guy called me at 11, apologized for waking me up. But I got to talk to you. I said, what? He goes, I had two widows, both of $100,000. One I'm working with for six months, one for four months. I can't get them to budge. What'd you do? I called them up and I said, you know, I was remiss. All we kept talking about was stocks and bonds, and that was my fault, and it's on me, but I never asked you the most important question. So he asked him that question. One widow committed their funds to him that night. Wow. And the other one gave him another appointment. That was instantaneous in a few minutes. And he turned around with, with two people he couldn't move for six and four months. That's how immediate the results are. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because his focus was in the wrong place and he was talking about the wrong thing. Right. Hmm. Okay, so so I'm curious about your thoughts on um, maintaining so velocity when you have people working at home. So look, <clears throat> everybody's having that problem, right? Yeah. Uh, some, some are making demands and all that. Uh, the reality is, we're in uncharted territory, okay? Uh, there are people staying at home because of the fear of because COVID's not really actually going backwards a little bit. Yeah. Some people are staying at home because of childcare issues. Um, some people are staying at home because it's more productive for them and they can get a lot more done. Right. Whatever it is, if you just go in and say, you must be in the office, and they go in, well... Did you align why the office is going to help them deal with the issues that they have? And the answer is no. It was a one-sided yeah. conversation. I have a, a CEO that's part of my chief revenue officer mastermind group. And uh, she demanded that everybody comes in the office. And she texted me and she goes, two people just quit. <laughs> because they refuse to be with anybody who's not vaccinated. 
So I said, how well did that serve you? Seriously. And, and she's got anger because she's going, I need people in. It's the only way we get creative. And it's only, I said, I get that, but you got to give up your anger. Yeah. This is the world that we're in. Now the question is, how can you create the culture? But you got to bring the employees into the conversation. Definitely. Because if they're not part of creating the solution and the options, they're not going to yeah. buy into it. So that's yeah. the first thing. How do we get the employees in part of the conversation? Understand what they're going through. Share what you're going through. And together, create a path forward that meets the needs of both sides. It's not easy, but basically, that's the process that needs to be done, especially today. If this was when I was starting business in the, in the early 80s, it would be a different story because we had a lot of autocratic leaders, and that was accepted at that time. Yeah. Today, that's not accepted. And people... Yeah. People are not going to, you know, you used to have a job for life. And now people expect to people coming out of college, they say they could change jobs, I don't know, 20 times or whatever. I know. And they don't have that allegiance. Nope. So, and they don't really care. And they're not going to put up with the crap. So you got to figure out a way to, it's really about influencing. That's how you influence. Yeah, I, I'm really glad I asked the question because this was definitely something people are dealing with. And I completely agree with you. We need to be having solution conversations and and people need to maybe give up a little bit on the rigidity of but this is the only way this works because not necessarily and I, I think it's true in the sales space as well I was in a meeting this morning we were talking about okay well if people are starting to pull back on decision making and pulling the trigger and signing the documents then maybe we need to be thinking about other target markets that need what it is we're selling that are not pulling back. That well, that you, can, you can do that, and that's a good idea. But at the same token, with those people that are pulling back, what you want to do is start using those sales calls. <clears throat> Don't make sales calls, make help calls. Yeah. And see how you can help them because eventually they're going to start buying. Yeah. And you don't want to lose all the time that you spent in creating that relationship. Exactly. I know. It's exactly what I told the guy this morning. I mean, what about doing brainstorming sessions with these folks, right? And help them. Well, actually, that's a great idea because in sales, there's a couple of things. Number one, we get pigeonholed for what they think we can do. Yeah. Many people don't even know about all your products and services because they buy one or two and that's who they think you are. Yeah. But by brainstorming, A, they see additional value that you're giving them, but B, you may open up some additional opportunities you never even know was possible and they never even knew to look at you as a solution. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it's all mindset, right? It's all about, yeah. And yeah. in, in, in the mindset, if you want a simple mindset shift, salespeople should stop saying, I want to go in and close this deal to how can I help this person become successful? Yeah. In fact, that's the one thing we talk about everybody in the book, whether you're an employer, a leader, a manager, a salesperson, whoever, teacher, coach. Your job is to make those people that we depend on you successful beyond their wildest dreams. You yeah. do that, then you in turn will have more success you ever thought was possible. Yeah, so it's where are you putting your, your focus and your energy? That's, right. it's, yeah, it's really great. Wow. So Ron, I really appreciate this conversation and your book and the information. And I think everyone should be reading the book. So uh, will you tell the listeners, you know, how they can find you, how they can get your book, whatever sure. you think they should know, please. 
So the Velocity Mindset, they can get uh, as a book, Kindle or Audible, which is my voice, by the way. Uh, they can easily get the easiest ways to get on Amazon. If they want to get some additional um, services that we have, the website is velocitymindset.com. Again, that's velocitymindset.com. A, there's a free leadership assessment on five key areas. You'll rate yourself, but then you also get tips and best practices on how to move forward. That's all free. You also get uh, into our list for our Friday videos on Velocity. And then you also get the links for the book, the Kindle, or whatever on Amazon. Excellent. Thank you. It's really valuable. I mean, just, I would say especially now, but <laughs> I really think this is just valuable all the time. People have to shift how right. they're looking at things in order to succeed. Yeah. Right. Really great. Absolutely. Thank you. So well, thank much. you for your time and for the opportunity. I greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Discover more episodes of this podcast and explore others at evergreenpodcast.com. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And if you're looking to get your sales strategy headed in the right direction, pick up a copy of Succeed Without Selling on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that asks you what you want to be when you grow up so you can graduate into retirement with a purpose and a passion, whether you're 25, 85, or any age in between. Gain actionable financial and mindset tips from your favorite authors, podcasters, and influencers to help you reach that exciting next chapter. Listen now and start building your path to financial freedom and reframing what retirement can mean to you. This is your host, Eric Brotman, reminding you, don't retire, graduate.